To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Daniel Martin. So Daniel Martin, um, gosh, he's I've known him for years. He has been consistently successful and putting in the work, and he's just the perfect podcast guest. Um, so I reached out, got him on the podcast. We had this amazing conversation I really enjoyed that I know you guys are going to really enjoy too. Uh, Dan's just a go-getter. He works really hard. He's a public land guy. He's a good archery elk hunter. Uh, uh, a good mule deer hunter, great bear hunter. And uh, so we just dive in depth on some of these subjects and the, the mental side of things. It just made for a, a great podcast. So um, I know you guys are going to enjoy it. We'll get right into it. I just want to thank one of my sponsors. I want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Sig Sauer Optics are just building great next level optics. I am so impressed by these. Uh, so uh, I've been using their binoculars. I really like. They have a, a set of 11 by 45s, um, just crystal clear, uh, great focus, edge-to-edge clarity, great in low light. I'm so impressed by these things. Um, I also this year got a pair of 15s. Uh, so they had a, a pair of 15 by 56s, um, just uh, the same super high-end optical performance, and I have just fallen in love with these things. Uh, it, it's amazing. I tripod these up and, and they're just so effective at longer distances. So it's like looking through your spotting scope, but with way better eye relief and looking with both eyes and, and better field of view. It's just been amazing for picking out long distances, like I say, but also closer distances, like in, in bedding cover or during the middle of the day, trying to see bedded deer it's just when you spot a deer in those, you know it's a deer. You don't have to get the scope on it to tell. Uh, so they've created a handful of opportunities for me and my buddies this season. So I'm loving those new 15s. And, and then they also uh, have their new spotting scope. Uh, so their spotting scope uh, is really high performance. I love it. It's a 80 mil objective lens. It's 27 by 55 power. Uh, they they just went all out on this spotting scope to be able to compete with the the top glass out there in the market. So I'm super impressed with this spotting scope. If you're in the market, uh, take a look at Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, they also build great rangefinders. I think the best on the market. Uh, I use their BDX 1400, and their BDX system will link up with your phone, with your rifle scope, and with your rangefinder. So uh, it'll it'll tell you your exact hold, uh, trajectory, anything you want to know on there. It's a great system. So check out their rangefinders, uh, binoculars, spotting scopes, and also their rifle scopes. Uh, they're just building great product products, and I'm super impressed. Sig Sauer Optics. With that, um, make sure to check out the other things we have going on at Eastman's. Uh, you can check out my fly fishing specific podcasts on Eastman's Flycast. Uh, check out our videos, magazines, things of, of that nature. Um, we just put out a brand new film that was really good and educational. It was uh, 
uh, named Imperial. And you can find this on uh, the Eastman's YouTube channel. Just search Eastman's Hunting TV and it'll pop up. But this uh, film, Imperial, was just done so well. And it showcases the Eastman's and mainly Mike Eastman, uh, who who's the founder of, of Eastman's Hunting Journals. And uh, the guy's just amazing. He spent his, he spent his life... Uh, watching and observing and hunting mule deer and knows so much about them in the winter range and migrational routes and this film they, they have a, a biologist in there uh, they track uh, Popeye like the the living legends Popeye Goliath and Morty and and kind of their lives and their migration and it's wild Popeye which is my favorite out of the box he stretches 40 inches wide they track him from his winter range over 80 miles or 100 miles to his summer range where he was photographed. And all this takes place in this country that I love to hunt. So it's just this amazing film with all this great footage of, of Next Level Bucks. Uh, super impressed. I really enjoyed that film. So check that out. And um, man, with that, uh, yeah, just getting back to normal life here, getting back to work and getting things done and just thinking – you know, that kind of wraps up my 2020 season. Just great late season action. Great action all the way through hunting season. Um, just so impressed at, at what kind of opportunities uh, is out there for us public land hunters. If we put in the work and put in the research and, and put in the time, you know, what we can create. So it's just been this amazing season for me. And uh, I have one more hunt left in January. Um, so it's a, a long ways away heading to the New Mexican desert, go hunt some mule deer. Um, should be a great time. So uh, just kind of gearing up for that, getting my work done, uh, keeping with my training and, and uh, kind of getting ready for tag season here. There's been some early ones that have come due in December. So working on that. But um, man, I just love this life I live and love sharing it with you guys. So thanks for the support. Let's uh, get rolling on this podcast. So this is a super one. Uh, Daniel Martin, uh, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Yeah, it sure is life, right? We get busy with kids and everything. I think I'm the same way. I think I've been at least three or four years without shooting league, and I may may have been five by now. Uh, same way, yeah. just uh, we keep really busy and we get our heads down, you know, working with our with our own jobs and family and things. And so, yeah, the those familiar places where we used to run into each other, we we don't uh, we don't see each other face to face enough. That's for sure. <laughs> no. No, I would agree completely. You know, life happens and your priorities change as you get kids and your time has to be divided and, and you kind of have to sort things out and, and figure out what's more important here and there. And man, I'll tell you what, it seems like there's just never enough time to do all the things you want to do anymore. <laughs> oh man, that's the truth. There's there's not enough time in this world, that's for sure. Uh, we had to be pretty efficient with our time, too, you know. It's uh, efficient and productive, and it seems like there's always something higher on the list that I've got to take care of. But, yeah, it's like I've been thinking of you for a long time for the podcast, man. I mean, you have just uh, – you continually put in the work and do what's necessary to be successful. And so, like, you're just the absolute perfect guest, and I love – I love following your social media, so I feel like I've kept up to date with you just because I see your posts and read them. And um, gosh, you 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 post with such authenticity and emotion, and 
Um, yeah, I, I just love following along and watching your success. Congratulations this year on your bowl. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I would I would say that's twofold. I feel the same way. Even though we haven't ran into each other for years, it feels like we still get to see each other's success and follow along. And I love listening to your podcast. And i got to be honest, I mean, anytime somebody reaches out to me on social media about you know, especially things like bear hunting, which obviously, you know, I'm really passionate about and you're really passionate about it. You know, guys like you and I, the hunting community, especially new people, they reach out to us a lot and they're like, Hey, you know, can you give me any tips and tactics? And I'll be square, man. One of my favorite things to tell people is like, Hey, go check out Brian Barney on Eastman's Elevated podcast. I mean, that dude knows his stuff and, you know, I can give you some tips and tactics, but this guy, he's got it down and I just I love referring other people to you as well. In fact, that that happened last night. It was uh, one of the forums I was on right before I went to bed. Um, somebody was asking a question about like getting into elk hunting, and I said, you know, one of the best things you can do is listen to some podcasts and listen to guys. It's one thing to approach people in forums, uh, but really to hear other people who are successful in the hunting industry, whether it's bear hunting, elk hunting, deer hunting, or whatever the case may be. You know, just go and listen to those people and listen to their stories and listen to their successes and their failures. And, you know, that's that's how we learn is by watching other people, hearing what other people do and how they do it. And I'm, you know, I'm 100% guilty of that, too. I mean, I love listening to you guys. I love listening to other people in the industry, you know, because it's all about learning and enjoying this lifestyle and getting better at it. Right. I mean, that's. <laughs> That's always the ultimate goal is being out there and being successful because being successful is what makes it the most fun and most enjoyable. Man, you're so spot on. You nailed it. Um, and, and that attitude you have of constantly learning and improving and taking in information, uh, that's why you've done so good. You know, that and your work ethic and discipline and everything else that goes along with it. But, man, that's it. It's that attitude of continuing to learn, continuing to absorb information to get better and to improve ourselves because – like this, this public land game that we both do, it's so difficult out there. And, and now with even more and more hunting pressure, you know, you know, we have to continue to evolve and continue to get better to find these, you know, these, these isolated places or find, you know, these desolate places that, that hold game animals that don't hold people. So yeah, it's a continued effort for sure. But man, that's why you're so good at it. You got the right attitude going into it. It's such a big part of it. Oh, absolutely. You know, you have to stay positive. And I'm not I'm not going to say that I'm the most positive guy in the world, but, you know, a positive attitude and a good work ethic. I mean, really, that that says it all. And that's what most guys that are successful. Those are the two key things that every successful hunter has to possess is a good attitude and, and, a, and you know, a positive attitude and a good work ethic, because, you know, there are going to be times where you're going to have a crappy day of hunting. There are going to be times where you don't see anything or you get frustrated. But one of my favorite things to say when I've had a bad day of hunting, and I want to categorize a bad day of hunting as maybe, you know, we didn't see the game animal we were after or, you know, we weren't successful in finding any game. I mean, that happens, right? And and a lot of times, and my favorite thing to say to someone that's either new in the sport or, or is out hunting with me for the first time is like, hey, we maybe didn't find what we were looking for they're not here today, you know, and it's like, 
we're going to go try a new area tomorrow and we're going to try something else tomorrow. And you just keep moving forward and learning from those mistakes. You know, that's, that's what makes guys like us consistently um, successful in the field is just having that positive attitude of being able to say, you know what, wasn't in the cards today, but guess what? We had a great day in the woods. You know, we saw a lot of really cool things and we found where the elk weren't today. That's all right. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great way to spin it, Dan. Like, uh, you're right. Like uh, you almost have to be an eternal optimist. You have to always believe yep. you're going to find that rut party. Always believe you're going to find that buck or find that bear. Like just need to continue to put forth effort. And like like that, Brent, you know, not only is that a successful mindset, but it's also, um, you know, it, it's like uh, uh, you have to we have to enjoy our time out there. You know, our time is so limited. Yeah. Like we started this conversation and when we have time in the mountains or in the prairies or in the woods doing what we absolutely love to do, we can't base it all on success on a on a harvest or all on success. Like we have to enjoy yeah. the journey and enjoy the process. And when you enjoy the journey and enjoy the process, you spend more time out there doing what you like to do, enjoying that time. And it seems like success kind of finds you. Like I know early in my hunting career, I almost wanted success too bad or too much. Like, And, and not that you don't yeah. drive and push hard and, and try to seize opportunities, but, but it's almost like just put forth the effort and just believe in the process and believe it'll happen. I'll get my opportunity. I'll get my chance. I'll find this bowl. I'm, I'm going to get a shot at one. Like you, you have to, to constantly believe and then enjoy your time out there. And then success just seems to find you. Would you say that's true for you? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And I think it's, as you mentioned too, I think it's changed a lot for me in the last say 15 years, 10 to 15 years, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to really harvest some truly amazing animals. And I'm very thankful for the opportunities that I've had. And over the last even 10 years, you know, um, I've taken some really nice game animals, but nothing that's like smashing grab, just like, oh my gosh. Um, and I think a part of that too was when, when that happens, when you have a lot of success taking some really good game out. There's almost this amount of pressure on like, you have to do that year after year after year. And I see guys and gals, um, especially in social media who get so wrapped up in having to one up themselves every year, you know, and I think they lose sight of the ultimate goal. And that's just being in the woods and having fun and being successful and I mean, everybody's priorities are different and they change over time. You know, certainly there was a point in my life where it was like, yeah, I want to take, you know, and it's always a goal of mine to take a mature animal in my mind is, you know, what I consider to be a trophy. And that's, that's different for everybody. And that's okay. Um, you know, some guys are meat hunters and some guys are horn hunters and some guys are everything in between. I kind of like to consider myself everything in between. Um, there's certainly times where I want to go put meat in the freezer. And then there's certainly times where I'm going to be really patient and I'm not going to take an animal unless it's the one I want to take. And it's a mature, you know, game animal that I know has outsmarted many hummers. And that's, that's part of the challenge for me is, is in the love of, of this uh, lifestyle is finding that, that trophy bull or, or buck, or even a, you know, a big old boar that just has lived so many seasons and been, been passed by so many other hunters that have been, unsuccessful in taking that animal, you know? And so over the course of, you know, like I said, the last 10 or 15 years, it's changed for me and I've learned to enjoy the process more, as you mentioned, 
um, you know, and enjoying the days where you're not successful. Um, and, and again, categorizing success as maybe a harvest is, is not a fair way to, to, to box that. But more or less, um, I think most people would judge a hunt by its success is, is whether you take home an animal or not. Um, and I think we've all heard the old timers say, no, it's in the process and enjoying the things that, that got you out into the woods, the people that you're with while you're in the woods and those experiences that maybe some other people have never even experienced in their life, that bugling elk that's spitting all over or maybe even urinating. Um, I had a bull one time literally urinate on me. Um, and, and, you know, those are the kinds of experiences that not many people can say they've had and that are really just full of adrenaline and excitement and, and moments you never forget, right? So, yeah, it's it, I think it changes for everybody, but you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's enjoying the process more. And when you learn to just enjoy the process and maybe forget about the pressures of social media and those things, you're absolutely right. You're going to be more successful because you're not going to overthink things. You're not going to be stressing out about, you know, did I make the right move? Did I make the right choice? I mean, we all make mistakes, right? I mean, Sometimes even I make a rookie mistake when I'm out in the woods and it's like, you know, later on you like smack yourself upside the head. You're like, what was I thinking? Like, I should have known better. I should have known that wasn't going to work. But at the same time, sometimes you got to be brave enough to try. And, and that's also, I think, something that makes um, consistently successful hunters can, is successful is that they understand the difference between a good opportunity and a bad opportunity and they capitalize on those good opportunities right and that's just by being prepared with their equipment knowing their limitations of their equipment knowing their personal limitations of what they're capable of maybe sometimes pushing themselves outside of that comfort zone but at the same time being smart and safe and ethical about it too that's so true you had so many great points in that, Dan. Like you're, you're right. Enjoying the journey, and we're all on our own journey. You know, we all, you yeah. know, have these own standards that we measure ourselves by. But you're right. We can't get caught up in what's going on at social media. There's so many thousands, uh, uh, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hunters out there that, you know, guys are going to be successful and they're going to kill big critters. And there's a lot of really good hunters out there that kill big critters. But yeah. it is important not to measure ourselves by those standards and to set our own goals and yeah. to be on our own journey. And, you know, I remember early in my elk hunting career when I really wanted a 350 bull. I wanted it worse than anything. And I worked so hard yeah. and I thought I could create that in one season. And what happened is that I ended up passing on a lot of great bulls that I would have loved to shoot. They okay. were probably bigger than any bull I had shot before, and I almost like jumped too far <laughs> up the trophy ladder too soon. And I didn't have the skill set to be able to harvest a bull like that when I got a limited opportunity at one. And, and, and then I, I really realized that season that I love to hunt elk. I love to get into right. them. I love to to be close and be making those plays and that excitement and that thrill. And I was missing that because I just kept sitting on the vantage point, passing up bulls or yep. cruising country, passing up bulls. And so, yeah, it's important to realize that we're all on our own journey and, you know, to, to set goals is a good thing. But uh, we're also out there to get into animals. And you also stated, like, we get to see some amazing things out there, like – 
the coolest things I have ever seen through my own two eyes is like out in the the mountains or the prairies or whatever it is. And you see right. this, you have this magical encounter like that bull pissing on you, or, you know, like, but you just have this right. encounter that is so thrilling and so exciting. And you're in the middle of it all day and you're making plays on these animals. And whether I kill one or not, it's, um, like those are the most exciting times in my life and being able to create that on on public lands just by hard work and effort like man that is magic oh. out there and so once you kind of hit some of that pay dirt and start to realize that like you know what the payoff is and then you just enjoy right. to work really hard and create those opportunities and and um man it's just such a fulfilling journey but i just like you, like I've gotten better at it as I get older and don't have as much stress on myself, as much pressure, try to enjoy it, uh, enjoy the process. And, and it, uh, success just seems to find me that way. You know, it's like, uh, it's sometimes the harder you work at it or the more you want it, the tougher it is. It seems like. Oh, it's so true. You know, and you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's funny. I was smiling as you were telling me about, you know, when you were younger and wanted to kill that 350 bull, man, I went through the same thing, um, especially kind of towards like, oh, I would say the end of going kind of end of going through college um, in my mid to late 20s. You know, I mean, I've been bow hunting since I was 14 years old. Um, in fact, you know, the very first day I ever went elk hunting with a bow, I killed a five by six bull with my bow the first morning I ever went. And I was just hooked from that point on. And, you know, you get in your mind this, this magic number. I think a lot of guys are like, man, I really want to shoot like a 300 bull. And then it becomes a 350 bull or, or even, you know, even some guys maybe even set that bar a little bit higher. And I found myself, as you mentioned, kind of stuck in that category of just wanting that next level bull and passing up a lot of just amazing opportunities to put an elk in the freezer. And, and sure, I made some great memories that will never go away. And I had some really cool experiences, but at the same time, like I passed up a lot of bulls that to be honest, I'd probably be happy shooting now. Um, and had a lot of great public land opportunities that, that I don't even, you know, I can't even imagine happening these days in this atmosphere that we're in right now. Um, and then exactly as you said, you know, you set goals, and, and I think it's a good thing to set those goals because it does make us strive to be better, to work harder, um, you know, and to find, to find those areas where, you know, you're going you're gonna to have an opportunity to harvest a bull or, you know, whether it's a buck or a bear or something else of that next caliber, that next level, you know. One of the things that, that people ask me a lot of times about, you know, especially like trophy elk hunting and whatnot is, you know, well, where can I kill a big bull? Well, Look at the numbers. Like you're not going to be able to kill a 350 bull in an area that consistently only produces 280 bulls. Like, sure, there might be a diamond in the rough occasionally, but if you want to take that next level of animal, you have to hunt in those areas where those animals are. And a lot of times that's going to be, you know, the limited tags, you know, finding some block management or you know some private that people are going to allow you to have permission to. Um, but you got to take it to the next step. You know, finding a a true 350 or bigger bull or, you know, that 200 inch buck on public land. I mean, that's, that's really tough. And you're going to have to spend a lot of time in the woods. I'm not saying it's impossible because it's very possible. Um, it, there's guys that do it every year and gals that do it every year on public land too. Uh, but you got to do your homework and you got to be willing to, you know, put in the time and make those sacrifices to make that happen. It's 
sure there's guys that get lucky every year and kind of stumble into one. Um, but I'll tell you what, the guys that do make it happen when they stumble into them, they're prepared and they're ready, you know, to capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah, it it is about building that skill set too, because I you know I believe big bucks and big bulls. Like you're right, you have to hunt where they're at and where where they come from, and that comes down to you know your research and units and statistics and things of that nature, and then also just seeing those caliber yep. of bulls. Like I know when I can see two, oh, yeah. three, four, five bulls that go three twenty a year. You know, now I can set my standards at 320. I can find those bulls, but it is about building that skill set. And that skill set is not only, like you mentioned, seizing opportunities when you get it. And that's like a, a whole other area because it's not black and white. It's kind of gray. To know what the right moves it are and the wrong moves are, it takes a lot of experience and a lot of failure and learning from it and uh, getting better. And then you, you just kind of build your own set of rules or your hunting instincts. You keep evolving it. And then it gets to a point where yeah. you see a scenario and you go, okay, I'm all in. Like, yes, I can kill that bull right now. Or I better stay back and wait. It's not a very good scenario with the wind, the way it's going. I've screwed this up before. I've seen this before, this pattern, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to screw yep. it up this time, but you know, it's also building those skill sets in map research and studying and then building those skill sets in, you know, vantage points and locating animals. And so, yeah, when you're first starting out, you, you have to build all these skills. And so you have to set your goals yep. accordingly. So you have some success and also, so you get some stocks and you get some plays and you get some close encounters so you can screw it up and learn from it, and then through that right. process, you build all these different skill sets, and pretty soon you've elevated your hunting instincts to where, you know, now now I, you know, you killed a few three hundred bulls, and it's like, well, yeah, this year, you know, I, I want to shoot for a bigger, whatever the case is, you know, we're all on our own path or our own journey, but it is about yep. developing those skill sets. Oh, definitely. You know, absolutely. And experience is the number one thing, right? And and it goes back to what we were talking about just a little bit ago is, you know, passing up maybe some of those those other opportunities, those smaller bulls, those smaller bucks. And, and I'm all for 100%, you know, game management. Um, you know, my goal every year is to take a mature animal. And it doesn't always have to have the biggest rack. It doesn't always have to have the, you know, the biggest horns, whatever the case may be. But my goal is always to take an animal that's lived out in the woods. He's escaped a few seasons. Um, you know, he's escaped a lot of hunters. He's smart. He's wise. Um, he's played this game and won many times. Like, that's my goal because that's my personal challenge. Um, and I'm always I'm always encouraging people to not shoot the first animal they see because I want to, you know, at the same time, like, I want to see more mature animals out there in the woods. And that only happens with some patience. But at the same time, you still have to learn and you still have to get that experience. And so it's okay for those new hunters to go out um, and have those experiences and have those failures and have those successes, you know, even if it's on, you know, something that's a little bit less than their standards. That's okay. Like there's plenty of game animals out there. And, and ultimately, that's how you build that knowledge. That is through those experiences of experiencing those failures, what worked, what didn't work, you know, and, and remembering you know, what worked and what didn't work. I'll be honest. I'm 40 years old. I don't have the best memory. Of course, I, I remember a lot of my experiences in the hunting, you know, 
I can tell you just about every animal I've harvested the day it happened. I can tell you all of the circumstances surrounding it, um, but not everybody has that memory either. And so one of the things that I've done that's really helped me is keep a journal about some of those experiences. Um, most specifically, um, like when I'm bear hunting, I keep a bear journal, a bear log of, you know, the t- times of day that I see bears, the places I see bears, the type of terrain they're in. Um, I'm fascinated with, with bear hunting, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> and and I don't take a lot of bears. I don't harvest a lot of bears, but I'm really picky. And I have the opportunity to harvest a lot of bears every year. Uh, but for me, it's about taking the bear I want to take and, and getting an opportunity on that bear, you know. Uh, but it's that applies to all, all game animals. You know, take a journal out of the field and document the things that you did right, the things that you did wrong. You know, the, the observations that you made about the temperature, the wind, um, you know, the terrain, and, you know, where did you see that game animal? And what were they doing? Were they moving from other hunters? Were they feeding leisurely? You know, or were they, you know, trying to hole up in, a, in an area where there's no pressure? Or maybe they found a little tiny spot of, of uh, safe haven where there's a lot of pressure, but for whatever reason, you know, there's not people in that spot. So making note of those things can really up your odds and, and remembering like, okay, I've been in this situation before. Um, you know, tough to talk about my elk hunt this year. It was, it was one of those things where as soon as I got into the elk, I was like, I've been in this situation before I'm going to kill an elk tonight. Uh, this is what they're going to do without ever even stepping foot in that particular spot without ever not even laying eyes on those elk. I knew what they were going to do. And I knew how I, I knew what I needed to do to kill an elk. And I knew if I had enough time to do what I needed to do, I was going to be there and I was going to get a bull. And, and that's how it happens. Man, that is how it happens. Well, um, dude, I've been so impressed. You're so good at it. Like, uh, you, you're good at all facets and you take advantage of the different seasons and different weapons, but you're really proficient at everything you do. And yeah, some of those bears you pass up, I'm drooling over. I would, I would love to arrow like that big chocolate you passed last year, you know, but I, I know uh, yeah, like you have your standards that you set or these, these big lofty goals and you're not going to shoot it unless you're absolutely psyched with it. And I think um you killed a big chocolate like a couple years ago and so you're looking for a jet black if i remember right right yep that's the truth man i'm looking for a bomber big old black guy i've had two that i've found over the last probably eight years and uh one specific bear man he haunted me for literally five years i found him five years in a row and i haven't seen him for two years so i'm thinking maybe he Maybe he got shot or just died of old age. Who knows? But yeah, that's what I'm after right now. I just haven't, I haven't found that jet black that's just really got me pumped. I did find one this year that uh, he was. It was just so far away. I just couldn't really get a good judge on him and moved in a little closer the next night. Cut about six miles off trying to get closer to him. And of course, he just didn't show up that night. So I mean, that's bear hunting. But yeah, that's that's my goal. Is I, I got to find a big jet black for for next year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> there's so many small and medium bears out there and as we build like oh, our yeah. bear hunting skill set and knowledge you, you start to find out like how many mediums there are how many small bears there are oh. or how special a giant bear really is you know like uh how few like, and far in between they are oh it's yeah it's just like i mean you think about elk and and mule deer antelope whatever the case may be you know it's the same right i mean 
I mean, how many 350 bulls, 380 bulls, 390 bulls do you see running around, you know, during the general season? Like, they're pretty darn rare, right? <laughs> you yes. just don't run into them. And, and, there's, and it's the same with bears, you know, finding that next level bear. You got to pass up a lot of those decent to uh, medium-sized bears if, if that's what you want. And sure, you might stumble across one. I mean, that's happened. That's happened to me before, and uh, unfortunately, the couple of times that it has happened, I've either tagged out already or, you know, just didn't have my bear tag or, or the right weapon at the time. So, I mean, that happens too, but, you know, that's, and that's the fun of it. That's the challenging part. That's what keeps us out in the woods, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's it. But, but yeah, it's one of the things I admire about you is you work on all facets of it. Like, I love watching your posts this summer about breaking your governor, about pushing, you know, your physical limits to strengthen your mind. Like, you are constantly – where it seems like you're constantly on that bike or trail running or making sure you're in top physical fitness among all the other skills you build. But you really put a lot of time in your preparation for, for season, and you take it serious. You absolutely love it. Oh yeah, I mean you have to. If you're if you're gonna if you want to be successful, you have to. I mean that's part of it. It's just that hard work, that work ethic, and being prepared. Right? I mean we talked about it earlier. Is being prepared for that opportunity. Um, you, for me, you know, I see an opportunity on a game animal, and maybe it's three ridges away, or maybe two and a half miles away, and I've got you know 45 minutes of light left. Like you got to you got to be able to know what your physical limitations are um, and push yourself and be ready for that opportunity. Because a lot of times those opportunities, we are limited by our own personal physical limitations and whether that's our, our shooting ability or physical uh, fitness levels. I mean, a lot of times that's what it boils down to. There's a bull at the top of the mountain and you got 45 minutes to get there before he gets in the timber are you going to capitalize on that opportunity or is your physical fitness going to hold you back? And, you know, we're all built differently. Some guys are thin and beefy and I'm not as muscular as I'd like to be. I'm 40 years old. It's not getting any easier, my friend. I'm 40 Uh, with you. So I get you. (laughs) Right. Like you gotta, you gotta be able to push your governor. And one of the things that really motivated me this year, and I mean, I've always been pretty self-motivated to stay in shape, um, part of that is, you know, my, my job, my career kind of requires that. Um, but I've always been motivated to, to stay in shape and because, I mean, it's, it makes you feel good. Um, you know, you feel better when you're healthy and happy. And, um, but hunting has really honestly always been kind of a driving factor for me in being in good physical shape. Um, when I moved to Montana, this is, this is embarrassing, but I was like 225, 226 pounds when I moved to Montana, and I was horribly out of shape, like horribly out of shape. You know, I got complacent in life. Um, I had a job that I wasn't overly happy with, and I just, you know, I I wasn't really motivated by anything in life. And something that really changed that was the year I drew a mountain goat tag, um, which was 2007. And... I was like, man, I got to get in shape. Like mountain goats is a serious deal. Like I got to get up in the high country and I hadn't been backpack. I've been on a couple of backpack hunting trips uh, when I first moved here to Montana. In fact, the very first backpacking trip I went on, I was like eight miles deep and I injured myself. I pulled, um, I pulled a hamstring muscle like deep in the back country. And it was to the point where it was really disappointing to me because I had a, serious opportunity on like a 320 bull 
um, in the velvet, like opening weekend at like 50 yards. And it was a shot that I could have taken. And I, I said, I had to watch the bull like feed off into the timber because I knew I was like, if I kill this bull, I can't get him out of here. Like I have a serious injury. Like I'm hurt. I cannot get this elk out of here. And the following year I drew that mountain goat tag and that was an eye opener for me. I was like, I gotta, I gotta make a lifestyle change. Like I'm way overweight and I'm not healthy. And I wasn't like fat by any means, but for me and my frame, that was, I wasn't, I wasn't muscularly overweight. I was chubby overweight. And so I, uh, I made a, I made a decision like within a couple of days of drawing that mountain goat tag that I was going to change, you know, my physique. I was going to start working out more. Um, and in the next four weeks I lost, I think it was 60 some pounds. I actually dropped all the way down to one, 165, I think is what I hit oh, wow. from yeah. 225. And, and I went and dude, I'm telling you the first day that I got up and made that decision to change my life and, 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 and get better and get in better physical condition. I went for a run that morning and I'll never forget it. It was, you know, like four o'clock in the morning. Cause at that time I was working construction. Um, I was working up in big sky. I had to get up, you know, early and leave early and, you know, put in 10, 12 hour days. And I got up that morning at four o'clock and I went for a run in the neighborhood and Brian, I'm telling you, man, I was almost in tears cause I couldn't run a mile. I was so out of shape. Like I literally ran maybe a half mile and I walked the last half mile to get to that one mile point. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I, this is so bad. And within four weeks, I was running five miles a day, and three days a week, I would run with a 70-pound pack on my back, and I'd go hit a hill, and I would do, like, calisthenics and do, you know, hill sprints with a 70-pound pack. And so ever since that time, it's like it's always been about making sure that if I have an opportunity on an animal, physical fitness is not going to be my limiting factor. I'm going to make sure that I'm in as best a physical condition that I can. If, if I can't make it, if I can't get to that animal in time, then it's going to be darn near impossible for anybody to have capitalized on that opportunity. I'm not going to let physical fitness hold me back from being able to make an opportunity. And I can't tell you how many times that has come into my success and made me more successful just because I've been like, man, I see, you know, I spotted a buck across that draw across that Canyon and I got to drop 1200 vert feet and get back to the other side. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir because I know how much you are in the mountains. I know how much you, you do your trail running in the mountains. You know what it's about. But a lot of people don't understand that that level of physical fitness, not only does it toughen your body, but it toughens your mind. And it prepares you for those moments where you're going to get that opportunity at last light. And you're going to have to move your butt and <laughs> get into position. And you might be humping a pack across the canyon or whatever the case may be. But, you know, that's a big part of it. And I think... You know, Cameron Haynes and Beast Mode and all of that, I mean, he's really changed the the lifestyle and the sport of hunting for the better. I mean, it's really pushed people to be, um, it feels like, you know, especially when you look at social media, like a lot of people are really taking it serious. And it's super awesome that people are getting in shape and they're getting physically fit and they're turning this this hunting into a lifestyle of, you know, you know, take a look at Mountain Tough, for instance, and what those guys are doing um, in the CrossFit community, what they're doing for hunters and how many hunters are getting involved in CrossFit and Mountain Tough and, 
and those types of activities to stay fit and up their game. And that's just incredible. I, I love that. I think that's so awesome. Man, I love it too. Yeah. It, uh, I think we've turned a corner when we first started working hard towards hunting. Uh, it was almost a, a, a foreign thought process to most people, you know, it, right. it, uh, it, it just didn't add up or people couldn't see the advantages they get, but just like you, and sometimes I hunt too aggressively and I, I've been able to just, um, yeah. teach myself patience over the years of when to go all in, you know, especially over the last yeah. few years. But I tell you, like that go for it spirit and that go for it attitude has killed the majority of my animals. Just like you say, like trying to make it there before last light or not finding game animals and just sticking my pack on and going for a walkabout, like moving my camp another five miles. But yeah, when you get in that good physical shape, uh, just like you stated, you're also sharpening your mind and what you can do and belief in yourself. And so, yeah, there's been multiple animals where... You know, like you say, 99% of guys would have said, no, I'm going to get after him tomorrow morning. I go, I think I can get there, you know, ditch all my stuff and I'm yep. running halfway there and I make it there and shoot that animal. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times I have 10, 15 minutes to spare. It's amazing how much time you have, yep. but that all in go for it attitude. And like I've made, um, sorry about that. I've made dumb mistakes too, where I go like all the way across the canyon and it's not a good approach and I blow up the bull and it doesn't work out. But I'm, I'm yep. just always trying to give myself a chance at success, always just trying to just give myself a chance at it. And if I can see him, I feel like I can kill him, which is, has been my problem over the years, too, is spooking animals or not waiting for the right <laughs> opportunity. So anymore, it's trying to hold myself back or pull the reins back to really wait for the right opportunity to go all in. But, man, I'm right with you that uh, physical limitations and being in good physical shape has killed more animals for me. And, and when the work really begins is when you shoot one of those great big bulls and they are right? six, eight miles back and you are by yourself. Like, all of a sudden, it isn't just a sprint to try to get there you know now you know you've got three four trips eight miles adding up in your head a eight in eight back eight in eight back it's like i've got about 40 miles i gotta cover here in the next day to get this yeah. bull out and we've got like like the meat is why we do it it's so nutrient dense and to get it out of country it's our responsibility or our respect to the animals you know yeah. to to take care of that and get it out and so you know that weighs heavy on me and so i want to make sure that i'm in the best physical shape i am so when I do kill that big bull I'm after, I can also get him out of country. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know that that is absolutely 100% the truth. And and for me, that's that's always been a big part of that driving factor because man, you're right. That's it's only half the work until you get one on the ground, and then that's when the real misery starts. <laughs> you know, I, I killed a, a great bull in the breaks. In fact, the last bull that I killed in the breaks, um, I packed that sucker out. It took me 17 hours from the from the time I shot him until the time I was back to the truck with the last load. And I did it all solo. It was just over 20 miles packing that bull out. And, you know, and, and honestly, that was just, there's so much more to that story. That was just a physically excruciating hunt, but man, if I wasn't in the shape that I was in and and I kind of got myself in a pickle in that, in that situation, because to be honest, I, I had a rifle tag for the brakes. I went over scouting a new unit um during bow season and ended up just killing a whopper it just an unbelievable opportunity i mean there was a lot of luck involved in that situation but i just wasn't prepared to kill an elk um i wasn't expecting to kill an elk i was going in 
is kind of a scouting mission with my bow in hand just in case. And then all of a sudden, you know, eight o'clock on the first weekend of bow season, it's, you know, almost 80 degrees out by eight o'clock and I got a bowl on the ground and I'm in the middle of nowhere with no cell service, you know, nobody hunting with me. And it's like, I gotta, I gotta take care of this animal. I gotta get this dude out of here and, and not lose any meat. And fortunately, you know, I've got enough experience. I know how to take care of the meat. I know how to take care of the animals, even when it's hot out, I've never lost any meat on any animal. But a part of that too, is like, I was in a pickle and I, it was, it was me or nobody. Like I couldn't rely on anybody else to help me pack out that elk. So you you have to be prepared for those moments where, you know, something happens and, you know, maybe it's even the fight of your life and you make a mistake and you stab yourself in the leg. Like you, you just got to be prepared for those moments where anything can happen. And then going back and kind of circling to, to where we started with this conversation for me this summer was, was having a revelation that I can be better and I can be tougher, and I can go farther, um, and I'm going to push my own limitations. Um, this bear season specifically, I went farther and hunted a little bit harder than I have, um, even in seasons past, which I, I always hunt pretty hard and always go pretty far, um, but I got to one point where I was hiking out on the last day of the season this year, and um, I was a little disappointed I didn't get a bear, but you know, that's every year. I'm just like, man, I wish I would have found the right one this year, but I had a good time and I was hiking out and I was, dude, I was physically beat. And I was in good shape this, this spring. I was in great shape. And, you know, my feet were just killing me. My body was just killing me. And I was coming out and I'm like, I was thinking to myself, like, man, I'm actually really glad I didn't kill a bear in here because it would have been, it would have been really excruciating for me to get a bear out of here. And I, and I don't think I could have by myself. I certainly couldn't have. Um, I might have been able to pack my camp out and get a little bit of meat out, but I'd have had to have some help to go back. And that was kind of an eye-opener for me because it was like I found a limitation. I found something where I was like I could have gone farther. Um, I wanted to go farther, but I, I just physically couldn't do it. And so that was motivating for me this summer to kind of push myself and and push myself to some limits that I'd never pushed. And I'll be honest with you, I suffered. Um, by the time I hit August this year, I was by far in probably the best shape I've ever been. Um, but then my body was like, it, it hit a wall. Um, I have a, I have an autoimmune disease and it kicked back and was like, Nope, sorry. <laughs> like you pushed it too hard. You pushed yourself too far. And that suffered. Like I'm still trying to recover from that, but you know, pushing yourself to those limits is still what's going to help you be successful. Um, and just understanding, you know, what those limits are and then obviously being smart about it too. Man, uh, that was going for it this summer. I saw you had some some big days, um, and like you say, you've <laughs> yeah. always hunted hard. But I just love that attitude of I can do more, I can be better, I can be in better shape. And I have that same revelation, you know, year after year. It's just uh, so good yep. for us guys to have passion and something we love wholeheartedly, and something that 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 puts us in better shape and better fitness and healthier mind and something to just occupy yeah. our thoughts and uh, something to, to dream and envision and, and, and really set ourselves out up there. And, and like you say, I, I train like an absolute madman, dang near every day, getting my runs in. I ran before the podcast. I shot my bow today. I, you know, it's, it's an everyday thing, but the yeah. same way you look at it, I do the same thing. It just like, you know, I was successful this year, but it, it may not come that easy next year. I may have to do more, no. hunt the whole season, or, you know, it may get tough yeah. in the late season. And when I really look at it, 
Like, I can do more. I can still be a good family man, get in my time with my wife and my kids, but, but I can fit in more. I can I can do more miles on the average, or I can put more of those single day, those really big days in that really challenge myself right. with those double-digit miles, you know? And, like, I, I have more to give. I can shoot more arrows per day. I, I can be a better shot. So I still see where I can improve and be better. And yep. um, that that's what I love about this endeavor is that it just keeps driving us uh, to, to build on oh. what we've already built, you know, which is which, which is just so fulfilling. I just uh, I love it like you do, Dan. Yeah, no, and that that's really what it, what it's all about. And I, I had a I had a conversation with a buddy this year. It was funny. You know, we were hunting together. And actually, I take that back. It was this was last year we were hunting and uh, yeah. We were we were putting the sneak on some bulls and uh, and this this guy's been around the block. He's been hunting before. He's a guy I've hunted with in, in the past. And um, I said, dude, take off your take off your boots. Like we gotta we gotta go silent. And he he kind of looked at me like cross eyed, like what? Like and I'm like, yeah, dude, take off your boots. Like that's the only way we're gonna get in on this elk. Like it's just too noisy and and um, like literally he was just kind of baffled that we were going to go after this elk barefoot. I mean, we were miles from him. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, to me, it was kind of a revelation. Like some people have this mindset that they, they get so tunnel vision. And for me, the one word really summed it up. I, I looked at it like, dude, we got to do whatever it takes. And that has been, I think my motto and my motivation is I'm going to do whatever it takes you know, obviously within the legal and ethical bounds of, of taking an animal, I'm going to do whatever it takes. If that means I got to belly crawl through mud and creeks and water and take off my shoes and, and whatever the case may be, or go shirtless in a mosquito infested <laughs> whatever, swamp, whatever the case, like if you want it bad enough, you're going to do whatever it takes. And you got to have that attitude of I'm going to do whatever it takes to be successful. If that's my goal, I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach that goal. I mean, you look at the people in this world who are most successful at their business endeavors, you know, if they want to become millionaires by the time they're 30 years old, they're going to do whatever it takes. You know, and if that means working 15 to 16 hour days, working all through the night, you know, and, and maybe even, um, you know, skipping out on time with their families or maybe not even having a family because they're so involved in getting that goal, you know, those are the guys that are going to be millionaires by the time they're 30 years old. They're going to be the guys that are killing the 380 bull and, you know, the 200-inch buck because they're going to go up into the high country. They're going to suck it up. They're going to be miserable. They're going to be cold and wet and lonely and tired and, you know, sore and hurt and everything in between. But they have the mental toughness to do whatever it takes to be successful. And, and that's what it boils down to is pushing yourself and pushing your limits and doing whatever it takes, you know, I think that's really summed it up for me and my experiences in being successful. Uh, you know, staying out until dark and hiking out in grizzly country, um, you know, knowing that there's a bear around every corner, like you just have to, you got to be smart about it, obviously. But at the same time, you have to be willing to do some of the things that other people aren't willing to do just because they don't have that, that mindset. 
Oh, that's very well stated. I think about that a lot, but uh, I, I've never put it to words like that. And I, I hope you don't mind, but I'm definitely going to steal that whatever it takes no. because that is the mindset yeah. to be successful. And you you have to be able to endure more than the, the common yeah. guy or more than the average guy, just like you, you stated so well with the, the cold or long miles or alone. And in a lot of it – like uh, everybody thinks they they're gonna do whatever it takes until they start hitting those hurdles. And these these backcountry <laughs> right. hunts these never go as planned. It seems like uh, no. you, you you make a plan and you kind of expect how the season's gonna go, and then you get there and there's 50 vehicles at the trailhead you want to go in on, and and you right. you got to come up with a different plan. It's like a uh, uh, every fighter has a plan until he gets hit in the face. You know, it's that same thing. And right. on these hunts, I mean, you get hit with challenges that you don't even expect. Like this year, the smoke and not being able to glass. Well, glass is one of my major advantages to right. elk hunting is being able to see them a long ways <laughs> off and move to them. So now all of a sudden I've got to adapt. I've got to find another way. I've got to do, like you say, whatever it takes. You know, I, I love like uh, – and also, you know, like on the stock or taking your shoes off, that whatever it takes, you know, I think it's important to not take any shortcuts, to to make sure that you right. circle all the way around to get the wind right, to make sure that you don't yep. skyline yourself out, to make sure that you don't take an easy way and give yourself away, to take the long way or take the hard way, to, to yep. never – to keep that element of surprise is so important, and that's what you were doing with taking your shoes off. But I just love that because that is the the essence of what it what it boils down to to be successful is that on every hunt you show up at you're willing to do whatever it takes to find success you know with inside the law and ethics and morals and things yep, of that absolutely. nature but you're right like that's the attitude that kills giant bucks and giant bulls and bears and whatever else you absolutely nailed it with that oh definitely you know and it's and it's understanding too that that really it's again it's about the journey and learning and and sometimes you know like you said earlier sometimes we can be overly aggressive um, I'm guilty of that sometimes too and and we can all find ourselves I'll, I'll guarantee you every time I've made a mistake it's because I took a shortcut where I'm like well if you know maybe maybe if I try this and and maybe if I if I cut over this ridge maybe maybe the wind won't be blowing the way I know it's going to be blowing if I don't circle all the way around the ridge. You know what I mean? You just, it seems like every time you have a failure, it's because you took a shortcut and you didn't do whatever it takes. You know, you didn't go that extra mile or push it a little bit harder. Um, you know, perfect example is, is hunting late season, you know, going after, you know, you, whether it's a high country mule deer or even an elk or anything like that. And you get into those that deep snow, um, you know, Sub-zero temperatures, you know, it's miserable. There's, I, you know, I don't know a lot of people out there. Maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe there's a few guys and gals out there that that really truly enjoy being miserable um, to that to that level. You know, for me, it's always been about okay, how can I reduce the amount of miserableness and make it tolerable? A lot of guys struggle with leaving their families. A lot of guys struggle with, you know, sleeping in the backcountry. And when I say guys, guys and gals, you know, it goes both ways. Um, but again, it boils down to that whatever it takes mentality and pushing yourself past past those hurdles and challenging yourself within your boundaries and being safe and being smart about it. It doesn't mean, you know, going out into a blizzard and 
um, and putting yourself at risk and, and putting yourself in a situation where search and rescue is going to have to come rescue you. <laughs> um, but a big part of that is being prepared and, and having you know street smarts, if you will, wood smarts about the situation that you're going to get into, but, uh, but also putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be successful. You know, you may have to camp it out and stay in your, in your tent for two or three days while the storm's just beating you down. But man, as soon as you get that opportunity, you got to be ready to go because there, there's not going to be many guys that can stick that out, you know? Yeah. Well, and you, you build this confidence in yourself and your abilities and in your ability to keep yourself safe in in any circumstances yeah. you run into, like you said, your street smarts or your wood smarts, you know, once you can kind of build that, you, you can push your limits even farther because you know, you can survive or, you know, you'll make it back or you can walk out of anywhere. You know, you just build this, this self-confidence and, um, which really helps in the woods when you're when you're chasing big oh, critters yeah. like that. Um, but but you're so right. Like um, it it does take pushing yourself and overcoming these obstacles oh, and overcoming fear a lot of times. Like you stated in grizzly country, thick grizzly country. Like it's spooky. I don't care who you are. Like when you're when you're making moves around grizzly bears, it's not fun. Or like you say, the cold. It takes a different toughness to be out there in the cold and cold feet and. Um, cold hands and warming up by fires and sleeping in the dirt like uh you know it it, it takes fear of lightning storms that high country muley hunts like man right. oh man some of those things can rain down and you you have to keep yourself safe you have to weather the storm and you kind of rely upon again the 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 confidence that you've built that you can make the right decisions put yourself in a good place to ride out these bad storms know that you're going to be okay but it, it isn't easy that that fear is real out there, you know, and it, it, yeah. it isn't like um, it, it, it isn't an easy hurdle. It It is something that's going to take every fiber in your being like you're going to be scared. You know, I've, I've been scared yeah. multiple times in the woods, uh, e even recently, like you just get spooked, big storms, grizzly bears. Uh, alone for nights out there, you're going to have to overcome that. And and I think it's yeah. good to prepare yourself and know you have those challenges coming. But, um, man, it feels so good when you can go out and, and jump those hurdles or, you know, go through those hardships and, and then find success on the other side or even just give it your all on a hunt. Like I know if I can give it yeah. my all, it was a success for me, you know. Um, and, yeah. and I think that's a, a big part of it is just learning how to – uh, how to how to adapt and evolve and overcome yeah. i mean that's what these hunts are it's, it's just adapting to the conditions at which you're given you know and the animals aren't always there and there's a lot of guys that are going really hard nowadays you know that are putting in a lot of effort and good for them but the goal when you're backcountry hunting is to find those you know to get away from people and find your own pockets where you can find your own experience and it's still out there there's still good critters to be had and there's great adventure out west and so yeah, it's, that's that's what all the training's for is so you can have confidence in in yourself in those moments. They know that you'll overcome it and see the other side. But, um, yeah, that's that's a huge part of it on these Western hunts. And I know uh, you're getting ready for late-season mule deer just like I am. You love hunting late-season deer, okay. don't you? <laughs> oh, man, I've been chomping at the bit trying to figure out when I'm going to be able to get out this year. I always take – at least a week, 10 days. And, and I'm definitely going to get out again this year, but absolutely, man, I can't wait. It's coming up. And that's probably, you know, it's funny. I, I've had a lot of success killing great bulls. I've, I've killed some great bucks, but you know, for me, it's that next level deer that I want to take. And, 
and I'll be honest, you know, as a family guy, and especially in my situation right now, it's been tough. Like I don't get the time to scout. I don't get the time to, to spend as much time doing that preseason work. And, you know, and that's my limiting factor right now. Um, and it has been for probably just the last five ish years, probably. Uh, but you're right, man. I can't wait to get out there and, you know, I think a big part of, of what you mentioned a bit, a little bit ago is adapting, right? You know, this year has been crazy. Um, I don't think anyone uh, a year ago would have ever anticipated the things that, you know, our country and the world um, has gone through. And specifically, you know, even here, and I've mentioned it in some of my social media stories, you know, it was like this year was crazy, man. I don't know about, you know, where you were hunting, uh, but for me and some of the places that I went this year, the amount of people that I encountered in the woods, which I don't want to say is a bad thing. I think it's incredible that people are out and about. Um, I would say, you know, the majority of people that I ran into during hunting season were were mostly hunters, but I would say there's probably 40% of the people that I encountered this year um, in the woods were just people out recreating, which is awesome. I, I love the idea that people are out recreating, but it really made it challenging this year. Um, and that was something that I had to adapt and overcome was the amount of pressure that um, even just the general public, the people out recreating, put on the animals. Um, a perfect example is I, I went to this spot and I've been hunting, been hunting there for years and, and I've taken elk there. I've, I've taken buddies there that have gotten elk. Um, you know, I always find elk in this, in this particular spot. I rarely see hunters there. Rarely. I mean, in the last probably at least 10 years, I'll see maybe one or two camps, um, within a pretty big size region of an area that I hunt. This year, there were 22 camps in a stretch of five miles, and the majority of those camps were hunters, and I would say, again, probably out of those 22 camps, I bet maybe five to eight of them were probably people that were just recreating, um, but when I say camps, I'm talking like there was two camps that had six or more like fifth wheel size campers. And we're talking ATVs and side-by-sides and motorcycles. And, dude, I didn't see an elk in three days of hunting in this unit. And I, I've been hunting there for years. I know where the elk are. I know where they stay. I know where they hole up, even when they get pressured. And I didn't even come across an elk, a track, nothing. I mean, it was just, like, mind-blowing. And, and when we transitioned into I took a, I took eight days off to hunt with my buddy from Minnesota this year and, and we hunted in, in an area that we hunted last year and there were people there last year we ran into a lot of people but not I mean where we were hunting we found pockets where the elk were we were into elk every day this year same thing there were people just I mean they were 20 to one <laughs> you know people to elk literally in eight days I saw three elk and I can't even tell you how many hunters I came across. So that was a real big challenge this year for me and having to overcome and adapt that hunting pressure and the pressure that that put on the game animals. I mean, that was a real thing. And, you know, and just talking to other people, I think a lot of people experienced that this year, even though obviously we know a lot of people, you and I both, who have been really successful this year hunting. But that was definitely a big challenge that I think a lot of people had to overcome this year. And it's all about moving and finding the game animals and figuring out where they're not pressured. And, and, and that can be challenging and especially this year. And I think going forward from here on out, it's going to be that way. I don't think it's, it's ever going to go back to being easy and you're just going to have those little secret honey holes that you can go to year after year. That's just not the case anymore. It feels like to me, you know, I might find a good spot this year 
but by next year somebody else has found it. Maybe they're not um, as educated or as experienced of a hunter. Maybe they blow the, the game out of there just, you know, because they're learning and making mistakes like we all do. Um, and so you just got to find a new area. And like you said, pack up your camp and go somewhere else and just figure it out. Man, good on you. And you you did figure it out and put a good arrow in a six-point <laughs> bull. But uh, so, so talk uh, about adapting a little bit more, Dan. So you talked about covering country and being more mobile and just finding where those elk ended up and where they got pressured to. So, so is that the main way you adapted this season to find animals um, amongst this immense amount of pressure? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, a big part of it was, you know, you talked about earlier learning to study maps. Um, I won't, I won't go off on a tangent about Onyx maps. I love Onyx. I use it exclusively, you know, but for me, um, years and years ago, one of the things that made me a really successful hunter was learning to read maps, topo maps, um, you know, going down to the county office and getting all the GAIS maps and property ownership maps and the BLM maps and studying. Um, you know, when I first moved to Montana, I was really successful. Um, I had a lot of time to scout. But I killed some great animals, and I kind of made some enemies. You know, there were guys that had been hunting here their whole life and never took and taken an animal of that caliber, and people were kind of legitimately mad at me. But what made me successful was I took the time and I did the research um, to pull all the maps to find out the places where I could hunt, places where I couldn't hunt. Um, and Onyx has changed that, right? It's put that information at our fingertips, and I think – a lot of people know how to use Onyx and they know how to read maps to some degree. And, and we all know how to look for, you know, public land versus private land and those things, but trying to figure out too, where, where and how elk might react to pressure. And one thing that really made me successful this year was not just looking at the public land pressures, but looking at the private land pressure and where the elk are going to be hunted on private, where those elk sanctuaries, where maybe there's private people don't, aren't allowed to hunt on or they don't outfit it um, and really keen in on the areas, even where it is outfitted, like, okay, like I know that that place is outfitted, like where are those elk going to go, where, where they're going to be, you know, pushed into whether it's private or public. And then again, doing whatever it takes to try to be successful. You know, if it's going to take you two, three hours of just miserable hiking to get into a spot, um, then maybe that's what it takes. And, and that panned out for me this year. I mean, it doesn't always pan out. You don't always find those spots, but at the same time, like you, you don't know if you don't try. Right. And you've got to put in that effort. And that was a lot of this year for me. It was like, I can't tell you how much time I spent like looking at maps, looking at areas, looking at the topography, being like, okay, I think there's going to be elk here and we would hike in there and there's nothing, you know, and it's, it's disappointing and you're just like you're exhausted you're physically and mentally uh, disappointed and exhausted and you're like man i really thought i was gonna find elk in here <laughs> and you know I, I my girlfriend went with me a lot this year and this was her first year archery hunting and there were a lot of times brian i'll be honest with you i was like i was looking at her and i'm like i'm sorry like i'm really sorry but again we learned where there were not elk today so we got to check this one off the box and we're just going to keep trying and we're just going to keep trying and that's how we're going to be successful and, you know, with that attitude, it's going to happen. And maybe maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't this year. Maybe you don't find that spot. But you got to keep trying. You can't just throw in the towel, right? 
Well, and eventually that effort pays off, just like it did for you this yeah. year. Like, you can't continually just strike out. Eventually, like I even think for myself, eventually blind-ass luck, I'm going to run into something, you know, somewhere. <laughs> right. But that's exactly yeah. what, what how I adapted, too, is uh, I went to a lot of my elk spots, and I heat-checked a lot of my spots. And we're talking five, six, seven spots that I heat-checked in those drainages and get in there and see if the elk are in there. And, and elk are nomadic by nature, and so they're continually... Yep. moving and so you have these good elk spots that you know will hold elk and it, it it's uh, features that they like it's got everything they need but you're right if somebody blows them out of there before you get there or maybe the conditions of that year were different i thought maybe you know maybe this year the the grass dried out sooner or you know who it can be a number of conditions but that's exactly right oh, that yeah. uh, that adapt and and the same thing is is you said we know where elk aren't like I have a similar say you know it's like uh, I I think I well I stole it from um from Jocko where like something bad happens to you and you say <laughs> good well that's an opportunity to get better or good and so like I yep. started heat checking all these spots I know and all and I I didn't I didn't see an elk for four days five days out there I didn't see an elk in spots where I'm constantly running into good bulls. And yep. it was like, well, good. This will give me a chance to hunt new country, to explore and find new spots. And, and now I have no, you know, preconceived notions of where elk should be. I'm just going to dive into these spots. And these were spots that, again, come back to my map research where I've looked at, you know, dominant ridgelines that take me way back in and cover a bunch of country or uh, the big overlooks or what, you know, and, and definitely places away from pressure that I'm constantly looking for. And so same as you, I just started to dive into these spots. And sure enough, like yeah. effort just pays off. Eventually you run into a bull and then, you know, uh, over the years you build that, that hunting experience and knowing when to go all in and able to close and put a good arrow in them. But yeah, same thing. This that 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 adapting to the conditions that you're giving and just keep pushing forward keep it moving like keep a uh, keep that optimism and just go find where they are yeah. at you know they're they're somewhere no matter the people in country there's still the same amount of elk in there and they are somewhere they are rutting like crazy somewhere they're bugling like crazy i just got to go find that spot and so it just takes more effort, more miles, uh, uh, more of that uh, evolving on the fly. Like you said, you spent a lot of this season looking at maps, and I love, like, uh, there's nothing better than than looking at stuff in real time. Like, when you go into a unit, you have the, the best hunt plan, but once you get there and you start to see elk or not see elk, like, then where do you go? How do you adapt? What do you look for on that map? And there's nothing better than real time and going – yeah, this looks really good. Right. Okay, I'm going to walk in here tomorrow morning and be on this spot. And and sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. Elk are nomadic, but eventually right. that pays off. Oh, how many times have you looked at a spot on a map and even looked at the country maybe from from where you parked or from that distant ridge and you're like, oh, there's going to be elk there. And then you get in there and there's nothing. And you're just like shocked. You're like, what? How is this possible? How is there not elk in here? I mean, that happens too. And just being able to understand that uh yeah you got to put in the time i think one of the biggest things you know if anybody out there that's listening that's a new a new elk hunter is understanding that you a lot of guys i think especially guys that come from out of state or plan their hunts um in the western states you know they they want to be successful just like the rest of us um and they plan their elk hunt around you know a week uh of, of, of vacation right 
it's really difficult to be successful in a week of elk hunting. It just, I mean, that's a fact. Um, I don't think, I don't think there are many elk hunters out there who are really truly successful, um, who, who go out and hunt one weekend um, during the entire archery season and kill an elk. Like that just doesn't happen. And, and a big part of that is like you said, you got to find the elk, you got to find the elk that are in the right mood. Um, you know, I know a lot of the country that I was in this year, I'm sure there were elk there. I know there were elk there, uh, but they weren't in the right mood. You know, they weren't bugling, they weren't rutting for whatever reason, whether it was pressure, whether it was hot weather, um, whether it just, you know, the cows weren't cycling yet. Um, they just, they weren't in the right mood to kill an elk. Can you kill an elk in those conditions? Yeah, you can, but it's way more difficult, right? Um, you gotta, there's gotta be a lot of luck. And, and you kind of have to change strategies throughout the season too, right? Especially if we're talking archery elk hunting, which has been primarily our conversation tonight. Um, you know, you got to change strategies. That early season elk hunting with a bow, you're not going to, you're not, the elk aren't going to be fired up. You're not going to be hearing bugles every day, all day long. That's just not how it works. You know, you're going to have to hunt water sources. You're going to have to hunt food sources. You're going to have to hunt, you know, transition areas between bedding and food or bedding and water. Um, you're going to have to have the elk pretty well patterned and you got to understand that that's going to change, you know, elk are nomadic. Um, I'm trying to remember, there was an author, maybe you can help me out. There was a hunter, uh, years and years and years ago, one of the, the famous TV personalities, and I can't recall who it was, but he, he wrote about elk, um, elk cycles and elk circles and, and how they kind of migrate in these circling patterns you know, if they get bumped from one area, they'll kind of go to the next, but they always make these little circles in the woods. And and it may not be, you know, localized to one little canyon, but on a bigger scale, you know, they may be in this canyon um, this week, and then they're going to migrate, and they're going to kind of follow the food and the water sources, and then might be two or three ridges over, you know, the next week, and they kind of make these migration circles uh, and just circle kind of around each other all the way from their winter range to their summer range and back. And that is so true. You know, elk do migrate and they do move. And I do believe that, you know, if they get bumped from one area, they're going to go to the next area. But the chances are they're going to come back to that spot. And so one thing that you mentioned, too, is kind of checking your spots, right? Keep checking those spots. Uh, they may not be there this week, but they might be there next week. And for guys who are planning those hunts, um, especially when they're spending their hard-earned dollars or spending their vacation to come out hunting elk. Like, keep in mind that, you know, sometimes it takes more than four days. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, last year I had, I think, six days to hunt during archery season. I didn't kill an elk. The year before that, I had four days during archery season. I didn't kill an elk. This year, um, I got one, two, three, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. I put 14 days in this year, killed an elk. You know, it takes time. You got to have the ability to be a little bit flexible, and and get out there. Um, you know, middle of the week or on the weekend. You know, for me, I can't always get out there in the middle of the week. My job just doesn't allow it. But the more time you can spend in the woods, the more opportunity you're going to have, the more successful you're going to be. And that's that's just what it boils down to: is following the elk and understanding that if they're not here right now, doesn't mean that they won't be in the future. Um, if you're seeing signs that elk were there, like you kind of have to evaluate, like were they here last week or were they here last year? I mean, and think about in terms of, okay, is this their migration? Are they coming from their winter range to their summer range or vice versa? Are they coming from their summer range to their winter range? Why were they here? You know, is there food here? Is there cover here? And and then 
making a game plan and being like, okay, maybe I need to check this in a couple of weeks. And that was a big part of my success this year too, was just moving around and knowing like, okay, the elk are going to come back here. They're going to be here eventually. And sure enough, they were. Man, um, you're speaking my language, Dan. Yeah, uh, just a higher <laughs> understanding of the species that we're hunting and their habits and what they do. And and you're spot on. Like I, I I never read that article, but I believed in that same theory that they have you know a big migratory pattern. And like you say, not one drainage, multiple drainages over ten twenty miles, and they work this network yep. of country. And they know the country. That's yep. their living room, their bedroom. They know it like the back of their hand. And elk have a flow through country. They have a way that they oh, yeah. that they they feed and bed in an area. And then when they get bumped out of there, or when they move out of there. They have a flow through country. They have a saddle they roll through that leads to another drainage over yep. into the next basin. And then from that basin, they have another flow out of that drainage and into the next drainage. And so they have this this flow, the way they move through country. And you're right, like some of the best elk spots in the universe, some of the best elk spots I have, if you show up three, four days earlier, three, four days late, you're not going to see an elk in there. It's all timing based. Yep. And when the elk are in there, yep. it's insane. It's a place they really like. But you can go in there just as easy and see zero elk in there because they're just not in that spot in their in their circuit or their network or their migration like you talked yep. about. And and so then it's trying to figure out where they went to, where they're at, trying to jump in front of them a couple drainages or like you said – you keep heat checking that spot until they are there because it's uh, uh, it, it's got everything the elk love, everything the elk need in there, and they do return back to it, and they'll be back there at some point. Yep. And so it's just heat checking it every few days. Or I know some of my spots are weather dependent. Like um, if wow. I get a big snowstorm in the Madison Valley, look out. I know exactly where those elk are going to show up at, where those bulls are going to show up at, where they're going to rut at. Yep. So like I wait every year and when I see those snowstorm coming, I'm just rubbing my hands together because I know where they're <laughs> right. going to show up at just because, you know, it's 20 years of hunting elk in this valley and watching them show up in different places and, and putting together the yep. pieces and also, you know, hunting sheds for elk, you know, that'll tell you a lot of their winter range and where they like to hang and feed and bed and just learning like this oh, yeah. higher understanding of the species we're hunting. And as we talk about skill sets, like knowing elk, knowing mule deer, knowing bears is every bit as important as our physical fitness or our mental toughness or okay. our shooting abilities. It's like all these pillars of skill sets that come together to create success, but you have to be good at all of them all along the way from map research, you know, all the way from, from the start of it to, to the end of it, you know, and it's one of the, the great things about what we love to do is that you just never stop learning or absorbing information or getting better at what we do. And, um, you know, yeah. part of the, part of the reason why I think you love it too, it's, it's just the ultimate challenge. And so that's what makes it fun is trying to solve that, that puzzle. Oh yeah. Outsmarting your quarry, right. You know, you take a look at the old timers and, and the folks that, you know, even I look back at, at how I started in my hunting career and I grew up in a family that hunted. My dad was an outfitter even before I was born. And, and I learned a lot from the old timers about, you know, what really has made me successful. And a lot of times I've taken a lot of animals because I have understood what the escape plan is for that animal, right? Um, the way I grew up hunting is totally different than how I hunt now. I grew up hunting on private property. You know, there was an abundance of game animals. It was, it, it was ridiculous. 
but at the same time, a lot of the, the people that I hunted with and, and was hunting around, um, they were old timers who learned to hunt smarter and not harder. Um, and a lot of, a, a lot of that type of hunting was, was pushing game. Um, you know, growing up, it was walking the timber, you know, they'd send the young kids down into the timber and to go push the timber out to the old guys and, and, and harvesting the elk that way, you know, timber drives, pushing, pushing the critters around. And that really, really made me good at learning and understanding the behavior of what these animals are going to do when they're pressured. And there have been so many times where I've been successful or I've put my friends and family members in a successful position to be like, we're going to intercept these elk because see those guys that are hunting over there? This is what they're going to do. And this is what their sense going to do. And this is what them being over there is going to do to these animals that we're hunting right now. And if I was a buck or I was a bull and I was going to escape, that's where I'd be going. And I put myself in that position and, and I can't even tell you how many times I've had successful hunts. And a, a perfect example, real quick, I'll share the story with you. I was hunting in college and a buddy and I had hiked up this mountain. It's just, oh, it was just treacherous. It was like three and a half miles, 200 or 2000 vert feet in the dark. Never been up there in my entire life. I think it was my freshman year in college, just made a, a friend in the dorms there and took him out hunting. And we hiked up to the top of this ridge and I knew that there were, I mean, I'd heard, you know, talking to the locals that there were good deer in this unit. And we get up on top and sunrise breaks out and, you know, we're seeing the country for the very first time. And I kid you not, I can't, I can't even fathom how this happened. As soon as it gets light out, we're like making a plan. I'm like, yeah, this is where we're going to go. Like, let's go hunt that little spot over there. This dude shows up from nowhere, another hunter, public land hunter. And um, I was just shocked. Like, holy cow, like, how did this guy get in here? And he had actually hiked in way farther than we had. And, you know, and I was trying to be respectful and, you know, we were kind of there first, but at the same time, you know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to create a situation that was going to be weird or awkward. So I was just really nice. I was just like, Hey, you know, what's your plan? Where are you going to go? And he's like, Oh, you know, he was very matter of fact, like he had a plan. He's like, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. And I don't care what you guys do, but that's what I'm doing. And it was exactly what we had just discussed that we were going to do. And, and, you know, I could, see my buddy like he just was defeated he was just like oh man like we just hiked our butts up here and that's exactly what we're gonna do and now he's gonna go do it and you just let him go like you didn't even say anything like we were here first that should be our option and I was just like dude just let it be and he kind of looked at me funny and the guy walked off and started walking up this ridge and I told my buddy we're gonna go right down there and we're gonna sit right down there on that knob and we're going to wait for him to walk across the top of that ridge because if there's anything in that timber, he's going to blow it out and it's going to run right down through that little saddle right there. So we hiked down there. We sat there. We were there probably 15, 20 minutes. And, um, you know, we broke out some breakfast. We're eating a granola bar. And sure enough, I mean, like clockwork, here come this big old muley buck busting out of the timber, running right straight at us. And my buddy, he wasn't even paying attention. I kind of tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, you going to shoot that buck or what? And he kind of looked at me funny, and his eyes got the size of saucers. And sure enough, he turns around, 50 yards, dumped this buck right from us. Deer had no idea we were there. So a lot of it's hunting smarter and not harder. And at the same time, letting other people do the work for you sometimes. <laughs> yeah, Uh just adapting to the circumstances, you know, and, yeah. and knowing the species that you're hunting, man, it's just so awesome. Well, 
Dan, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's already way past an hour. Yeah. Uh, I could talk to you all day, all night about hunting, but you got to come back on. We got to talk bears or mule deer or something yeah. else on the next episode. Yeah. But man, I really enjoyed it. Let's Thank you it. so much. Absolutely. Let's talk bears next time. Let's have some fun. That sounds good. Well, I've got your number. We need to keep in touch better and uh, maybe even share yeah. a hunt together. So uh, thanks yeah, again, Dan. Definitely. I really appreciate it, man. We'll um, we'll we'll keep in touch. Yeah, definitely. You too. Take care, Brian, and uh, good luck. Hopefully, I can't wait to see some pictures of some big dead mule deer this fall. Um, season's here, so let's get her done, huh? Yeah, likewise. Yep. I'll be following along on your social as well. All right, buddy. Take care. Have a good night. You too. Okay. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Fun conversation with Dan. Uh, you can find Dan at, at High Country Dan on IG. He's a great follow on there. Uh, the guy just gets after it, and I love these in-depth conversations, you know, with other guys that are just out there grinding and working hard towards their success. And and he's definitely one of those guys. Um, so make sure to give him a follow. And thanks to him for his time and being on the podcast. I sure appreciate it. Also, thanks to our sponsor, Sig Sauer Optics, just building great optics. Uh, their binoculars, I love those 15 by 56s spotting scope, uh, rangefinder, um, rifle scopes, uh, the whole BDX system. They're just offering a lot of value, and they're competing with all these high-end optics for a decent mid-range price. So if you're in the market for any of these new optics, make sure to check them out. Uh, they're really impressive to look through in person. And um, with that, make sure to check out that new Mule Deer film, Imperial, that Eastman's put out. Um, I'll have some new films uh, coming out this year. I'll make sure to let you guys know about those and, and where those are going to come out, whether those on, are on the Outdoor Channel or on our YouTube channel. And um, yeah, just gearing up here. Um, got my final hunt of the year coming up in January. Um, so a little break here, getting back to work, getting my responsibilities done getting some good podcasts recorded and um, still continuing to work, um, finding that that motivation to be out each and every day out in the cold, get my runs in, get my upper body lifting, uh, my bow work, you know, just again, um, you know, if I, if I want to be better than last season, I'm going to have to work harder than last season. And, and that is with the bow too. Just, um, um, you know, these, these practices that I'm doing, uh, I, I'm just being um, more more thought out, uh, more conscientious of the, the arrows I'm putting in, the practice I'm doing, and just really trying to improve, uh, make sure my tunes are just absolutely dialed in these bows. Uh, but I'm having a ton of fun messing with this new V3 and messing with some new arrow setups. And, um, man, I'm just super excited. I think I fall more and more in love with this game each and every year I do it. Uh, there's just so much opportunity for us out there, even with, you know, uh, the COVID hunting pressure and, um, you know, it, it's just, there's still experience, there's still all these great experience in the, in these great critters out there and these great adventures that we can go on. And so, uh, I'm just so excited about starting to plan out next season and my time. And, um, I, I love putting my name in the hat for some of these, these hunts across the West, whether that's really good in deer and elk hunts or sheep hunts or whatever the case is. So uh, just see what, what this next year has in store for me. But, man, I just can't wait to work, uh, to grind, to get better, and uh, to come into next season into some new adventures. So I still got one left. 
super excited for that. It'll be uh, New Mexico in January down in the desert down there and uh, hoping to connect on a good buck. Uh, I'll be down with my buddy Dan on that hunt. So we'll try to do some live hunts or record some podcasts or do some stories or something cool down there for content. Uh, I haven't decided if we're going to film it yet or not, but we sure should with two of us down there at least capture the whole experience and try to get one more for the season. So we'll see about that deal. Um, but yeah, just having fun doing this podcast. Gosh, I got some great ones coming up for you guys. Uh, just these, these next level conversations, just all about hunting our, our public ground. Um, it's our common thread. It's all, it's what we love to do and why this podcast succeeds. So I just want to keep with that and keep getting you guys the absolute best information I can. Um, it's wild. It's, uh, you guys that listen to the podcast or, are like my friends, you know, you are my friends, uh, just some of you I've never met, but you guys definitely get to know me and get to like this podcast and just means the world that, that you show your support for this, uh, and keep this thing rolling. I, I sure enjoy doing it. And, um, so yeah, it, it, it's always humbling and, and, um, gosh, I think every time I put together a podcast, I just, uh, I, I just, uh, think of how much I appreciate the support of you guys. So, uh, thank you. And, uh, With that, check in with you next week.